0: Welcome to another episode of Presbyterian and Reformed Churchmen. I have a guest that has become a friend over the last couple of years, mostly through online uh, chat groups, but we've seen each other at various events. We have a lot of friends in common. This is Ruling Elder Gabe Williams. Gabe is also from my home state, the Sunshine State, and I'm sure it's warmer there than here. And uh, usually I'm dressed a little different, but I am freezing. It's been the 20s here in North Carolina, and that is cold for uh, Florida boys, even if I've spent time in the Northeast. But anyway, uh, to Gabe, I, Gabe, what I want to do is we're going to get into your story uh, about the PCA and also just the disagreements in the PCA. But what I want to start with is you have a very interesting job, a, a job that I think listeners would care about. A uh, job uh, you work in an, in a field that is close to my heart because uh, I have family member- members in this um, uh, who, who would benefit from your products. I, I, w- I guess I'll say it that way. And uh, so let's get into that, and and also that'll feed into like why your the set behind you looks so cool and you yeah. are geared up, looking a lot uh, a lot more professional than me. So Gabe, introduce yourself briefly and tell us what you do.
1: All right. As you mentioned, my name is Gabe Williams. I'm a ruling elder. Um, I'm also a Florida boy, as you mentioned. Um, it's funny, you mentioned the 20s. I woke up this morning, it was 40, and I said, I Ooh. thought we were done with this. Come on. Right. I you know, um, Go out to take the dog out, and you would have think I, thought I walked into a, a blizzard or something. Um, it, I'm not a fan of the cold, that's for sure. Um, but, yeah, so you mentioned what I do. So I run a company. Uh, The name of the company is called Spectrum Research Group, and we produce nutritional supplements for it was originally created for kids on the autism spectrum. So a friend of mine is a pharmacist and a a heavy-duty researcher, really smart guy, very compassionate. He has a couple kids who have ADHD. One uh, they suspect is high-functioning autism. And um, he met a doctor who at the time was with the Cleveland Clinic and, uh, Dr. Hadapoglu, Batul Hadapoglu. She, her son at the time was eight years old and he is severely autistic. He would, uh, he was self injurious. He would bite his arms and hit his mm. head against door jams, and it was just heartbreaking for her. And they, uh, came together to put together this herbal vitamin mineral composition. They, um, Put it together in such a way that it helps to support the endocannabinoid system and because uh, of the the particularities about it they uh, formulated in such a way that they were able to patent it but once they put a patent once they got their patent um, they really didn't know you know at that point, what to do with it as far as getting it out to the masses um Randy, my friend who's a pharmacist he was uh he was such a he's such a good heart he would uh make these capsules the whole it took him about three and a half years to get the patent he would hand pack these capsules in his pharmacy um to get it out because as he was trying the product out to see what results he would get um people kind of became dependent on it, not, you know, not like addicted to it, but it worked so well that they wanted to keep using it. So he was making up capsules every month and, and just distributing it to people for free to help families. And he showed me some of the emails he got some of the feedback he was receiving and i i was like this you know this is some you're onto something here and my background at the time um it was in the natural products industry so i knew manufacturers and sales avenues and ways that you you know compliance uh, cuz compliance is big if you say the wrong thing on your label the fda comes down hard so uh we got involved started the company spectrum research group, we created a product around that key ingredient, uh, that they came up with and we've been off to the races ever since. So it is, even though my background before was in the natural products industry, not so much in the special needs sector, it, it did make me realize, um, that this is a much bigger problem. You know, I, I confess some people get offended when I say this, some people completely understand, but when I first heard about this product and started to learn more about autism, the only reference point I had before that was the movie rain man, right? With uh-huh. Dustin Hoffman, um, Tom Cruise. So that was kind of what I thought autism was all about. But the reason they call it a spectrum is because it's, very different from person to person. Some of the parents tell me the only consistent is the inconsistency of it. Wow. So um so it that kind of uh also sparked my interest in in just the special needs community the the worries the the um concerns that parents have probably the biggest concern that parents have in that regard is understanding that they will not their children will outlive them. And yeah. their children it are not suitable for a a regular say mental health facility because they may be developmentally challenged in one area but very much uh, developmentally excelling in another so it's difficult so um, I over the years we've uh, you mentioned the professional professional looking set the reason we have that is because we do uh, podcasts, and I interview people to just offer content to our user base that might be helpful to them, whether it's products or services or ideas or new opportunities or whatever. So, um, it's
0: been. What's the name? What's the name rewarding. of the podcast?
1: Um, it's called the Spectrum Report. It's mainly on our Facebook page, our Neural Balance Facebook page. Um, we email, you know, whenever we do a new one we put it on our blog and we email it to all our current users and it's on YouTube. YouTube we don't have as much of a following. It's mainly Facebook and our current mm-hmm. users. The content's really it's not created as a marketing thing to attract people as much as it is to um offer a benefit to the people that are kind of already in our system. So Right okay. I should use it probably for marketing.
0: <laughs> well it it uh it's content marketing. So it uh right. Are you on uh, iTunes or any of the other platforms, or is it basically Facebook, like you're saying? Um, we do turn our interviews into podcasts. So
1: um, that also goes to Twitter and um, I think, yeah, Apple Podcasts. Um, so, yeah, our we use Lisbon for podcasting, and that sends it out to a multi-channel. So <clears throat> Spotify, um, you can find our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes. Um, or I, I'm not an Apple guy, sorry, I'm an Android, so I don't know if Me iTunes too. and Apple podcasts is the same or not, but you know, <laughs> it goes somewhere, Apple, because, of course, everything else goes out one way, but I have to tweak everything for it to go to the Apple side. Right, so. they
0: got their own their own requirements. That's right. right. So as we get into the PCA, and you've been a ruling elder for over 20 years, has, has being exposed to families... <clears throat> Who have loved ones that are on the spectrum or with special needs? Like, how's how's that impacted how you shepherd in your church or how you uh, approach different people in the church? How, how's it played out?
1: Yeah, you know, I the first year I went to GA twenty nineteen or it might have even been before that, I learned about the PCA's um, disability ministry, right? And I this was, I think maybe just as I was working with neural balance. So I was starting to become more aware of their needs, special, uh, needs, um, families with a special needs child, what their needs were as far as worship and that. So I did a podcast where I asked, I interviewed someone and I asked them about, um, does your child's disability prevent you from worship? And if so, why? and for me it was really an exercise in gathering information i just wanted to hear from parents right like and i heard some pretty pretty sad stories right but um i heard about embarrassment and people mistreating them or you know the stares and the people saying stuff after church you need to control your kids things like that and i thought that's just not what we're called to do or to be and so i started looking into the disability programs a little bit and stuff like that and the way our church is set up, there there are some physical things that would need to be done in order to create a good environment. So it's it's it is a conversation that we started to have, but a couple of years ago, um, we um, a family started coming and they have a young son who special needs, and I quickly realized. I, but I'm also very convicted about not having children's church, right? I'm I'm very convicted that Scripture is very clear that families should worship together. So anywhere in Scripture where the saints are called together, whether it's for the reading of the law, repentance, uh, confession, um, hearing the preached word, whatever, it, the Scripture goes as far as to mention from the oldest and everybody in your house to the suckling babe so you know my original idea with the disability thing was to figure out a comfortable way to separate them from the congregation so they could still be on campus and worshiping with us but they would be comfortable and i realized that it really isn't them that needs to be made comfortable it's our or trained for that matter it's our congregation that needs to be trained and made comfortable with the situation so that they're welcoming and helpful and these families don't feel the need to be separated, so you know. At one time, I was thinking um, we need to set up a special room. We need to do this. We need to do all these physical things to accommodate the environment. And I and I realized that what we need to do is train our congregation to support a family with a kid who might be making noise, or fidgeting, or wandering around, or whatever. Um, we really need to offer that support and let them know they're just as loved and they're just as welcome as anyone else would be. And that, um, sure there might be distractions now and then, but, um, that's just the nature of the beast. When you have kids around, they're going to they're going to be distracting sometimes. So, um, uh, we, we really, we we haven't done anything special as far as, um, a disability ministry. We've just been, Uh, we've, we've trained our congregation. We've talked to them about loving on these families. And we now the father of um, this, this young kid is now our associate pastor part-time. He also works for Ligonier. So um, he'll be, that's something that he and I talked about. How do we get the word out? How, how do we get the word out that we are going to be more accommodating and that we're going to love on your family and we're not going to ask you to separate or anything like that. Because I think that separation just adds almost to the embarrassment. Like, um, my good intention to make a comfortable place for them may also send the message that you need to be somewhere else for this to be effective. And I, and that's not something that we want to do. So.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's great. And, you know, I think it starts from the front. I uh, just, <clears throat> The more I preach, so so I started out as a ruling elder and then an executive pastor, ruling elder who was a licensate and then ordained. But preaching wasn't, I was a good teacher, but preaching wasn't a, a natural gift set for me. And at the beginning, like little distractions would would throw me off, you know. Now I'm preaching every week for years and... People tell me people come up and apologize for some distraction, and and I didn't even I don't remember it I didn't notice it. I I'm just kind of lost in what God is doing in His Word, and 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 uh, I think it's important for the pastor to make it okay. We we have a lady in our church who suffers with I don't even know what it's it's neurological, but it's it's a brain thing. It affects her face and her eye, and she's having to go replace their either ice packs or heat packs and sometimes she's apologizes because her young child goes up and swaps it out with another one that's either being heated or iced and again i forgot what it is and and she apologized online and i was like because she's up front but on the right and i'm like i don't even notice it and i'm the one preaching Don't don't apologize i'm just so blessed that you're with us like and you know this is what the body of christ is and so often before before I go up to preach, the way I sit, I kind of sit on the wing, the way our, our sanctuary is organized. And I can kind of turn to my left and see the congregation. And I used to feel bad if I'd look. And I'm like, no, no, I want to see who I'm preaching to. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, I know what people came to church, the problems going on in their lives, the real pains they're having, the struggles, um, what it took for some of them to get there because a lot of them care for either older parents or kids with needs at home. And it's like, wow, Lord, what a, uh, what a responsibility and privilege and a calling now I'm going to now serve up your word. And so why wouldn't we want, uh, those, um, wh- wherever they are on whatever Everybody spectrum they are, you know? Well,
1: and that's the, you know, as a ruling elder, I've exhorted a few times over the years too. And I'll tell you, Somebody quietly falling asleep is much more distracting than a kid <laughs> babbling or playing with a toy or something. Uh-huh. Like that when you look out, you're putting someone to sleep. That'll rattle you.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it's uh, that is discouraging, and and uh, it it but it's it wasn't because you've done it infrequently. Trust me, some some people wait for that moment so they can go to sleep for some right. reason. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't pray too long; it makes them sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I love your heart for that and I love your exhortation in that and uh, so let's move into the PCA uh, specifically because that's really how I came to know you is uh, PCA forums for ruling elders and teaching elders and I've appreciated your stand and your stance and uh, I'm, I'm glad to show you know put you out there before everybody so they could see if you know, a lot, a lot of REs and TEs see us online, but they don't get to hear from us. They don't get right. to hear our voice. They don't get to hear our heart. And uh, that's part of this, what I'm hoping with this. So t- tell us about your journey into the PCA and... My journey. Men don't take yeah. journeys. They take trips. <laughs> <laughs> right, your, how about your quest? Do men My take story. quests? My story started... Yeah. Um. Do, so I come on, I, wait a minute. Qu- quests are masculine. I mean, I mean Tolkien quest and... is
1: okay. Let's do a quest. Okay. All right. I'm Your just, adventure. I'm just messing. Um, so I, I mean, I, I grew up like a lot of um, people in the U S especially my age. I'm 53 um, grew up. Baptist. I grew up mostly Baptist and some non-denominational depending on where we lived at the time or whatever. Um, so my background, I, I didn't have like a, a strong particular denomination background, I would say, but, um, I grew up, you know, with a single mom. So my, um, my God always put men in my life though, that loved the Lord and led me in that, you know, in that direction. Um, I always had, uh, one, one thing I'll say for the Baptist churches in the seventies and eighties, they were great at getting kids to church. So, um, a couple that I went to, you know, they would send a van or van around all over town, and they'd just pull up and beep, and you'd run out and jump in the van or the or the small bus, and and they'd take you to take you to church every Sunday, um, youth group, and stuff like that. There was always a ride, so that was that was really neat. Um, in my teenage years, I went through a lot of the stereotypical teenage troubles. Didn't get along with my stepfather. Um, Went off, you know, moved out early and um, was a knucklehead for a few years. And it was probably not until my late 20s that I started realizing that, you know, one of the reasons my life was difficult and one of the reasons why I was feeling discontent was because I had forgotten my first love. And I remember the day that. I was given a heart of flesh and I became, um, saved and I was in first grade and it was one of those, I would, I would just hate this ministry now. I think it's so unbiblical, (laughs) but it worked. It was in children's church, which I led the charge against in our church. Um, and, um, so God uses man's foibles to do great work. Um, and we, we all see that, but, um, So it was late 20, I started going, you know, back to a Baptist church because that's what I knew. And that's where my, um, daughter, uh, my, my kids were going to private school there. So I started going to a Baptist church. It was a really big church. Um, people were not super friendly, um, I looked different then. I didn't have the beard. I had a goatee. I was pierced up. I had a spike sticking out of my bottom lip. And
0: so I looked kind of freaky and, uh, I, I want pictures. I, <laughs> I, I want, <laughs> okay. I'll and, leave uh, later. Um, yeah, I, I, thankfully yeah, I don't I, have too many of those I, pictures, <laughs> but I do have one. Um,
1: so, you know, they didn't think I, they didn't talk to me much or whatever. And, It was funny because I I got this job selling radio advertising on an AM station in Daytona Beach, and it was old folks. And this is relevant. It was old folk radio, um, big bands, Frank Sinatra, stuff like that. And it was tough, man. It was tough to sell advertising on that station. And so I had to clean up my act a little bit for that, right? Tie, take out the piercings, um, look presentable. And I missed my turn. I was actually running early for an appointment, which is very rare for me. I'm usually five or 10 minutes late and I don't mean anything by it. Um, I know some people find that very disrespectful. I don't mean anything by it, but I'm just always a few minutes late. Um, so I'm, I missed my turn, but I turned into the next place to turn around and I look up and it's uh, an assisted living facility, which was right up my alley. So I pop in to leave some information because you never talk to the marketing director on your first call, right? So I just figure I'll drop some information off, I'll head back out, and I'll go to my appointment. I go in, I give the receptionist my card, I tell her who I am. She says, hold on a minute, Jill's here. So she calls her out, she calls me in. I end up talking to her for an hour, missing my other appointment. Um, She tells me that her uh, boss that morning said, we're going to do things a little differently. When a salesman comes in now, let's give them 10 minutes because these guys are working. They We might be missing out on something by ignoring them. So let's start giving them 10 minutes. If they don't have something important to say in 10 minutes, then you can cut it short. So it was odd that she even talked to me. Well, by the time I was done talking with her, we were not, we were talking about the Lord. We were talking about her marriage. Um, we were talking about my situation, um, being a single parent and all sorts of things. And she, as I was leaving, she said, can I give you my girlfriend's phone number? Because you're going to marry her one day. And I thought, I'm not even looking for a woman. I had just probably a month before that, you know, I was lonely. I did want a, 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 wife, but I was, I needed to focus on working and taking care of my kids. Right. So I had, I had kind of laid it in God's hands and said, I'm going to quit searching send me the person you want me to send and make me the man that's worthy of her. And he's still working on that part. Um, But he, uh, so she, she says this and I was like, I'm not, not interested. Thank you. And she's like, no, you got to take her number. She's cute. She's a Christian woman. You'll love her. She's a great mom. Also, you know, it's also a single parent. So I took her number, didn't call her for a few months. um, Just, stuff going on in my life. Didn't want to, you know, get into something like that. I finally call her and we talk on the phone for a couple of weeks. And I was like, I, I love this woman. I'm going to marry her. And, uh, she said, the first time we meet, you have to come to my church. I want you to meet me at church. Um, and I said, oh, okay. So, it seemed reasonable to me. I was going to church anyway, so it was I'll just go to a different church that Sunday and it was a PCA church and this i'll I'll tell you one of the reasons why it just ruffles my feathers when I hear guys talk about the PCA um, and and try to make it sound racist or anything like that. It just chaps my behind because she uh has a biracial daughter. Um, her daughter's half African American. Well, actually, her her dad's from the Caribbean, so half Caribbean American and half white. And beautiful little girl, love her to death. Um, this she invited me to her church, and I show up, and she already told a couple of the ruling elders that I was coming, and I guess what I looked like, um, how I described myself. Anyway, we hadn't met face to face yet, so I get there. <clears throat> And it's communion Sunday, so they're dressed to the nines. This guy's got this big, thick Italian-looking mustache. He's from Philly. He sounds every bit of the part, you know. And I I go walking up. I'm kind of looking around, and she had told me what she was going to wear, so I was looking out for her. He says, "Uh, are you Gabe? And I go, yeah. He goes, come over here for a minute. And he he looks over at this other guy. Wolf, come here. And this other guy comes. And now that I remember it, both of them seem huge, but – I'm the same height as one of them and the other guy's a little shorter than me, but it was so intimidating, you know? So I walk over and he goes first, Gabe, us, you, Gabe what year is this? What year? Oh gosh. twenty two thousand, 2000, maybe. Yeah. Okay. It would have been 2000. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like, uh, October, maybe 2000. So I walk, he goes, what are your intentions with our Jamie? And I thought, our Jamie, like, who's this guy? But I'm not going to, I'm not about to start something because you got this other guy standing there like muscle. And I'm like, uh, I said, well, I, I just been talking to her for a few weeks on the phone. I guess my intention right now is to get to know her, um, uh, to date her. And, um, he says, well, let me ask you this. If you were to die tomorrow, and stand in front of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your answer? And I said, well, because he died and he lived a perfect life and fulfilled the law. And he died on my behalf and washed my washed me clean, forgave my sins. And it's on his merit alone that I would enter the gates of heaven. And he goes, okay. He looks at the other guy. He's like, okay, good. And he's like, um but long term, what are your intentions with Jamie? And I said, well, I mean, if it goes well, I, I'll, I'll, I want to marry her one day. Like I have a, I'm a single dad, she's a single mom. She seems like a wonderful person. I've really enjoyed talking with her and on the phone and getting to know her and I don't want to waste her time and I don't want to waste my time. So if it goes well, then one day we'll get married. And he was like, okay. And he goes, we'll see about that. And then he talked with me a little bit more, and it really felt like I was being questioned by a father, right? Mm. And then come to find out that he was very much like a father to her. Um, her One of her best friends was his daughter, and he was teaching the 20-something class at the time. So he had gotten to know her very well, and he'd been discipling her and teaching her about God's Word. And um, she was saved at that church. She, um, and it was just for me, you know, it just blew all of the old white Southern conservative stereotypes right out of the water because she had already told me, you know, before I got there, how this church had been loving on her. So you have a, a single white woman with a biracial baby shows up at this church and, They loved her and protected her and discipled her. She would get letters in the mail of encouragement. She'd go home and find a 20 stuffed in her purse. She would, you know, uh, gift cards anonymously in the mail for groceries and things like that. Like, they, I loved that church from the very moment I stepped foot and he interrogated me. And a lot of guys maybe would be offended by that. I was, you know, by that point I was almost, I was 30 So I, you know, I, I guess, and some, some people would, would maybe think I'm a grown man who are you to talk, you know what I mean? But I loved it. The fact that they were loved her so much, they were so protective over her and they were just caring for her. It made me fall in love with this particular church. And then keeping in mind, I was Baptist. They, the campus used to be a campground. So the fellowship hall is an old house and there's a pool. So as I was walking by to go in the fellowship hall to get some coffee, I go, "Man, y'all got the biggest baptism I've ever se- baptismal I've ever seen." <laughs> and they were like, "Oh, you have much to learn." And then I, I, you know, learned just a few weeks later why that was such a silly thing. Yes.
0: Yeah. So let me. Uh, I'm going to jump in on on this because a lot of our, our backgrounds are different, but a lot of my experience with the PCA is is very similar. I where I grew up in Miami, Florida, I went to school in in Hollywood, Florida, which is uh, just south of Fort Lauderdale. I was on the cross-country team in high school, and our cross-country route would run by this white Presbyterian church that uh, I just thought was a sleepy church that I, I always call it like, in hindsight, I say it was the best kept secret. And then, and, and the pastor there was kind of upset that I said that because they don't want, nobody wants to be a secret. But my point is, it was just kind of there, unassuming. And we used to run through their parking lot. And then on the way back to the school, we'd run through all the, there was all these like developments with pools. And as kids, we'd jump the fences and jump in their pool and come out because we had just run five or seven miles or something. Okay. And so, you know, like 20 years later, well, maybe 15 years later, when the Lord is saves me and, and my experience was I had come forward at a Christian concert in, uh, in middle school, but, uh, just lived very waywardly. And when the Lord started drawing me to himself, uh, and, and then I started getting in, into reform theology and, and I looked up the PCA and, and Ligonier was a big, was a big part of my, uh, my quest, not my journey. Uh, and, and I saw this church. I was like, really? That's the church I used to run through their parking lot. I don't remember. <laughs> and similar to you, by the way. So I'm tatted up. I, I was smart enough to keep it above sleeve line um, and, and kind of hidden. Cause I was in the engineering world and, and corporate world and in the, in the late nineties. And so I tried to kind of, you know, work hard, play hard kind of thing. Uh, I, I had a piercing. I no longer have. It wasn't in my ear. And so I, I very much didn't fit the mold of a, you know, like you said, the the stereotype of, and in particular this church, a white church with a steeple in South Florida. And you know Florida, and then you know South Florida. It's very non-traditional, very, like we were coming from a non-denominational church at the time. And to to go into this church with a with a high liturgy, that sang hymns where people were wearing suits and not everybody was wearing suits, but, but there were, you know, and, and th- those, uh, fathers in the church wearing suits would come up to me who didn't fit any kind of mold and, you know, South Florida is used to ethnic looking people, but I, uh, you know, pe- people mistake me. They think maybe I'm Hispanic, maybe I'm Italian. Uh, my background's the middle East, but I, I mean, I'm, I was born here, of course, but. Uh, Very, grew up very sort of traditional Middle Eastern. And uh, just found a home in the PCA. And I'm with you. I think where you're going with this is, you know, this idea that we have to somehow change who we are to meet who the culture is, is just not, that's not my experience. And it's almost insulting uh, to me. So, yeah, I just want to jump in on that because I found the same...
1: Yeah. The, the thing this church did was they preached the gospel, right? They, it was mm. a ordinary means of grace, um, tr- still is ordinary means of grace. Um, teach the truth, shepherd people. Well, um, get to know your people, get to know what their needs are, try to meet those needs. But that, you know, meeting people's needs is secondary because preaching the gospel is the primary purpose of the church. Right. So, um, preaching, teaching, and a a real focus on that, um, was, was how this church has always operated. And, and they, (laughs) it didn't matter who you were, how you looked or whatever. If there was sin, there would be a conversation, right? But, um, as far as, uh, judging someone for how they look or what color they are or things like that, it just, it, it didn't happen at Spruce Creek. So, um, I mean, I'm sure every church isn't like ours. I, I I have been told by you know people over the years who who come to preach or come to visit or hang out get to know us that our church is an anomaly. It is what church is supposed to be. It's a huge covenant family. Uh, many of our members have been there since the founding, and we just uh, we had our 30th anniversary of our particularization uh, two years ago. So. The church has been around for a little over 30 years, um, maybe almost 40, you know, going through the church plant phase and building and all of that stuff. But um, some of our founding members are still members. Um, we've lost a few over the last couple of years. Um, but it it just, there was never, you know, no fog machines, no crazy stuff, no bowing to the culture. It was just steadily preaching the word and teaching um, about grace, about Jesus, about depravity and about the need for rescue. Um, and it's not just rescue. It's, it's being brought back to life. We're dead. Amen. We're,
0: yes. The mean? sovereignty so. of God. Yeah. Even, I mean, that's some of, that's even some of the, with me in, in that church that, uh, became really where I grew up in the Lord. Uh, even though I was an adult, like I, I went online, I listened to the pastor's sermon. I want to know what was going on there. And I was just like, Wow. I told Susan we gotta we gotta try this church, and we right. never left. We we, yeah. we and that was yeah, uh, I don't
1: think I, yeah, I don't think I ever went back to the Baptist church I was going to at the time. I, I went there, and I I remember thinking at one point, man, I sure hope it works out with this girl because I love this <laughs> church. <laughs> ah. <laughs> it's going to be awkward. That's um, awesome. So yeah, it it's great, and um, I was there. I don't know. I guess ab- about a year. But I had intensive, I mean, right away, I made friends with a couple of the ruling elders and spent a lot of time with them being discipled and, and brought into the Reformed faith, the understanding of total depravity and God's sovereignty. You know, when I say, I, I talk less about election and adoption and more about God's sovereignty, because at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to, right? So I, I learned about God's sovereignty. I I um. Huh, funny. So we got married uh, about a. We got married pretty quick, actually. We were, we met on the phone and in person October ish. We were, um, we were engaged by January and then we were married by July. So, and the pastor at the time at that church who married us fell to sexual sin and mm-hmm. we had, um, a guy come down from, he was actually a, a, a member of our local presbyteries, retired from Tennessee Valley Presbytery, and he was attending our church, he and his wife. His wife was a member, and he filled in um, as interim pastor for about a year, and it was right right during that time that I was nominated uh, to be an elder. And he did the, um, the, elder training right the new officer training for elders and deacons and it was a darn near a year long and it was intense like um we went through the whole wcf like there's no excuse at the end of that training that if you didn't understand something or whatever that that you would continue to not understand because we we had very intensive training Um, he was a hardcore conservative confessional uh old school guy and that's how i was brought in to the pca and to the uh to the office of elder um was sitting under that type of training so around the time where wasn't it 2001 or something that good faith took over and that was
0: way before me but i yeah the early 2000s what, for so sure. while
1: that was going on i was being trained by probably one of the most confessional pca ministers in the denomination. So that stuff was, you know, I didn't even know that stuff was going on. I thought the whole PCA was like our church as, right. as conservative confessional as we were, uh, are, um, so, you know, being brought in as an elder, um, and sitting under that training and having a, a good example of a couple of friends who mentored me and taught me intensively about the reformed faith. Um, I, I just I had a good example of what an elder should be right from mm-hmm. the get go. Right, so it's not just about session meetings and helping serve communion. There's a there's a a whole thing that comes into shepherding God's people, reaching out to them, keeping in touch with them, seeing what they need, alerting the deacons. Um, so you know I I'm, I consider it a privilege, but I um I really didn't know what was going on outside of our church. I didn't go to Presbytery, and this is something i would I would recommend all ruling elders and teaching elders should teach this to their ruling elders. You have a responsibility to learn for yourself what's happening in the denomination um, once we got a pastor, we have pastor for about eighteen years, and no slight to him, but he didn't do a lot to keep his ruling elders informed about what was going on. And I don't think he necessarily did it intentionally, but it's not like the information isn't there, right? We could figure out what's going on if we, if we look for it, but ruling elders, um, most of us have full-time jobs. Many of us have families, um, you know, the session meeting and the meetings and shepherding your flock and, taking part in Sunday service, all of that tends to keep you pretty busy. So looking outside the local church to the presbytery and to the denomination, it's just not something that's that's, um, important. Or I think a lot of ruling elders don't realize the importance of it. So that was uh, was one place where I would say I neglected my duty for a very long time.
0: Well, Um, let let me, uh, so on that topic too, I was the same way. So I was ordained an RE, I think in 2010, maybe, maybe nine. I was a deacon before that. And I just had this mindset, like the TEs do the denominational work and the REs do, uh, help the TE do the, the local body stuff. And to be sure our calling is first to the, the church that called us to the people that voted on us and called us up. But You know, I just wasn't aware. Like you, I thought every church was kind of like our church, and I didn't realize what was going on denominationally. I also, I mean, nobody really knew what was going on behind the scenes to to shape or reshape the denomination into something it's not. And there was huge revelations on that recently um, of a secret organization trying to shift the denomination the way they want it, wanted it to go by placing uh men on committees and and again they were voted on and so you know it's n- there was nothing illegal about what was being done but the no- the nomination was shifting underneath us and i didn't realize it and so i know you told me in t- uh, your first ga was 2019 right and mine was Twenty twenty one. I would have gone in twenty twenty uh, if if we had one. And both. It seems like what got me off the bench denominationally was: Are, are we really having these conversations? I mean, the, the Nashville statement is controversial. Really, like, right. are we really having these discussions? In this is the PCA. I, I just I was flabbergasted and. Well- you got it. You know, about
1: the Nashville statement, sorry to interrupt, but no, I was actually going to vote against that.
0: Um, Me too. I if to I had gone, thing. I would have voted against it, by I, the way.
1: <laughs> I was, but I voted for it. And and I I, I don't mean uh, – there was a certain teaching elder that got up and gave a heartfelt, emotional speech, and, and the room – I wouldn't say the room erupted in applause. In, a, in applause, it's funny. Like when you're at Presbyterian, the nays always sound more than the yays because people <laughs> tend to do it loud, more loudly. Um, I don't. I don't even think half the people necessarily clapped, and then uh, half of the people that did clap probably didn't know what they were clapping for. They just heard people start clapping, so they clapped too. That's <laughs> what I'd like to think anyway. But um, after that speech, and then the applause, I realized this is a line in the sand that we need to draw. This is a statement that we need to get behind because my my thing was, you know, I listened to uh Mortification of Spin and I really like Todd Pruitt. Re- really respect him. Um he's been helpful to me at um many times. Um definitely and I you know he made a good case for, for voting against it uh because of the source and some ESS things and and um but then when i looked at the statement by itself i said you know if the standing alone this is a a good statement there's nothing wrong with the statement so but i'm also big on not favoring good things that come from corrupt sources so to speak uh because then it might lend credibility to the source that maybe they don't deserve so i anyway i i was gonna vote against it but then that speech and that applause changed my vote. And I, and I imagine it probably changed a lot of votes that day on both sides of the aisle, but um, that that for me was uh, a very telling moment for the PCA. Not the speech, but the applause, really. Well, I thought, man, that there's, there's this many people. My, my wife was watching the live stream because she's kind of a nerd like that. And she texted me right at the end of his speech, if this is true, his covenant family is failing him, he should never spend a holiday alone and she kind of saw through the emotional play in the in the you know what i I don't know i I can't say that he was doing a purpose, but there was it seemed like there was some emotional manipulation there and and it was very sad I felt bad for him
0: but i i well right i else. mean it in that church the way he's always spoken about his church as just this loving community that is supportive of him. Of course he wasn't spending any holidays alone. If he did, it was his choice. You I, know, like no, if, no. if I, if I, if I didn't have a family, there would not be one holiday I would need to spend alone. I, I would right. have, I'd have 50 homes to go to that that right. would easily just take me in right away, let alone over a hundred. But yeah. And, and I think that's important for people to hear what, first of all, It's awesome that you went to the assembly with what you thought your mind made up, and given what happened at the assembly, you were able to change your mind, and I think that's some critique of – our assemblies like everybody comes with their mind made up right now and that's just the nature of the day we have the information beforehand at our fingertips so i often wonder like how do you come to an assembly not you but people like with that they're, they have no idea what they're going to do you know but it is good that given the discourse on the floor of the assembly you, you know you were able to make it uh it takes a lot to change your mind is what i'm saying and you were able to do it and i you know, at that time, I still didn't get what was going on with the side B stuff, and I didn't go to GA because I had just taken a new call at a new church, and our family was in the middle of a move, and it was it was a tough year, but I, w- I said, why would we vote on this Nashville statement when our confession is far superior to We have the tools we need, and I also kind of believed in our AIC reports, and I said, well, why can't we? I'd rather have our own statement on this. Why are we trying to grab some statement from somewhere else. I I since have seen the light on that. The Nashville statement has been a blessing because article seven, which says it's against God's holy purposes to adopt a homosexual self conception has been approved or uh, declared biblically faithful as the language by the PCA. So whenever people want to argue against that, I just said the PCA has said that is biblically sound and right. you're arguing against it and they're right. like well it has no constitutional uh authority it, we de- we declared it biblical and you're teaching against it and right. and that's just and so i get it it's sad that we need to affirm things like the nashville statement but i i think that was a great moment and i also think it helped to kind of uh rally the troops um you know, I mean, it got me off the bench because the backlash, as much as I would have voted against it, when I was seeing the backlash again from afar, I wasn't there, and seeing how men who voted for it were what they were called, and then like you said, certain tweets going on about winning the war that they're getting the denomination because they have all the young guys. And I'm like, what, what is going on in the PCA right. there? These are signs and signals that there is something trying to shift this denomination that I thought was, was solid, you know? Right. And well,
1: and you know, that yeah, that type of um, that tactic is nothing new. I just did a Sunday school about American Presbyterianism. And, you know, we talked about, um, during the revolutionary war and, and all of that, how American Presbyterianism developed and, and of its own accord of its kind of its own style and, and everything like that. And way back then progressives, winsomes, whatever you want to call them um, were meeting in secret to stack the courts, to push people a certain way to get their own way. Uh, they were fighting against strict subscription um, because they love gray, they love gray areas and leeway, and they they don 't like any any rigid or plain um, rules or processes because there 's no wiggle room there, they love that wiggle room um and you know you mentioned uh uh the w- the one of the arguments um that that we hear a lot. From the progressives, the same argument you made, why do we need this when the the confession already speaks to this? Well, here's something to think about. We are a good faith subscription denomination. So it's difficult to say we don't need that because the confession speaks to it when you can state a difference with the confession. And if your Presbytery accepts it, then... Um, you're, you know you're good to go. You, you're still ordained. You can still teach. Now there's been argument on both sides whether you would be able to teach that difference or not. Um, but the only document that we have that dictates the way we do church that is not subject to a stated difference is the BCO. So when someone says we don't need this in the BCO because we have it in the confession, well, we do have, we do need it in the BCO because you guys play games with the confession. You won't adhere entirely to the confession. We find almost on a daily basis, another church that's doing something that's against the confession. And then they want to play word games when you try to take them to task. So, We do need it in our constitution. We do need it in our operation manual, so to speak. And another thing is the civil courts, they don't look at scripture or the confession the way they look at our BCO. Our BCO is a legal document that governs how we do things, right? They would give that more weight than they would give scripture or um, the confession. So, if a if a professing homosexual comes to your presbytery and they're qualified otherwise and they say, I want to be a pastor here, and your church, your presbytery turns them away because they're professing homosexual, right now you have no legal. If they want to sue you for discrimination, right, the presbytery, there's no legal recourse. If the only reason you kept them out was because of that, we have no legal recourse because the court doesn't care what the WCF says, well, what the catechism say.
0: Yeah, let me let me shape that a little bit for for people. I think I, I I'm going to differ with you a little bit. I think the court on I think the the Westminster Confession is a part of our constitution. So where some, where it says something clearly, the court uh, I, I believe the court would would uphold it. But what the problem is like you said the word games with what we're talking about I mean to me where you know it's this it's this gay but celibate this side B position that that's where the confession isn't explicitly clear on so we build a case from our understanding of indwelling sin and our uh, our understanding of union with Christ and we have to build a case and it it, it could be nuanced away and so that's why we need that in the BCO. And to people that wonder, like, what do you mean I thought a, cor- a church can do whatever it wants to do? Well, the the court is going to determine what is a sincerely held belief if, if it went to a court. And so how, how does a court know what are sincerely held beliefs? One is they're, they're agreed upon beforehand. So that's where our constitution comes from. And, and our constitution is the Westminster Standards and the Book of Church Order. But two, you have to uh, show that it's sincerely held in that you're consistent in that. And so that's why it's very important for churches and their bylaws to um, to say what they're going to do and then in their practice to do what they're going to say. And so th- this whole argument is why I'm – and I take a lot of heat from this from guys on on our – persuasion, but like I don't think Overture 29 is going to do really anything. And no. I, I'm all for it passing, but I just wrote an article. It's it's on PCA Polity, and then Aquila has picked it up. That basically shows, phrase for phrase, a, propon- a preponderance of evidence, if, if that's a word, if I said it right, <laughs> of, of where every phrase comes from in our confession or our book of church order. And so Overture 29 is just... It's, it's completely redundant in in my mind. It doesn't add to the clarity of the issue. Now, is it good? It's great language. And so if we want some summary statement that pulls in our whole understanding of indwelling sins, sanctification, the qualifications for office, because we don't want to take it from 10 places that's already in our Constitution, that's fine. But the point you're talking about very specifically is, is what Overture 15 addresses, because that with crystal clarity... Says what is disqualifying for office in a way that our that what what I said in the article is the Westminster Divines never could have imagined that people would be adopting these categories of personhood, and neither could our founders right. fifty years ago. And so now it's our job to put that in there. And when guys say, "Oh, well, what are we going to put every sin in there?" No, we're going to put every issue that y- you guys want to continue to make an issue. Right. <laughs> we didn't make this an issue. You made it an issue. You nuanced the language supposedly. And so now we have to deal deal with it with clarity. You've put us in that position. The Nashville statement wasn't enough. The AIC report wasn't enough. The explanation that we a third of the denomination didn't understand our our position on indwelling sin. We've explained it. that wasn't enough. So let's uh, let, let's codify this.
1: Let's make it more clear right. Well, and th- and that's I mean the the va- like I said before the gray is their friend because the gray areas that's where they can move and push and and you know I, like I pointed out the other day after our presbytery meeting uh, first and second Corinthians were written specifically because of social and cultural pressure on the church
0: very the specifically
1: sin, yes the sin of the culture. Um, infiltrating the church and becoming part of the practice of the church right so it's clear that there are times where we have to speak to specific things and we're all in agreement no other church that i know of is pushing to get a self-proclaimed pedophile or a self-proclaimed kleptomaniac or a self-proclaimed you know any other sin um into the pastorate right we we would say we struggled with this in the past i struggle with it now and then but to to claim that identity the way um we see some in our denomination doing is just improper for leadership and that that's another th- that's one of my points of contention after 2019 i wrote this thing up i put it in the teaching elder group i put it in our I think I put it on Twitter. I put it on um, our, our Central Florida Presbytery has its own Facebook group. I put it in there. And, you know, the point that I wanted to make was the PCA doesn't hate gay people. We're being told over and over again, well, what about a watching world? It's like hanging a you're not welcome sign on the door, this, that, and the other thing. Listen, we don't hate gay people. We want gay people just like we want thieves and liars and cheaters and every other sinner to come through our doors so that we can share with them the gospel. And we can tell them about the love and hope and sacrifice of Christ on their behalf if they're among his. And we want to love on and take care of people no matter what their sin struggle is. But you have to be able to draw a line between what's appropriate for a member and what's appropriate for leadership, for ordained ministry. And that's all we're trying to flesh out here. We're not trying to, you know, say no to gays. We're trying to say no to ordained teaching and ruling elders who identify seemingly more with their sin than with the new man that they've become. And that's as simple as it is. So the arguments that I hear about a watching world and how the damage it's going to do to our witness and all that stuff, you know, number one, Jesus told us that we're going to be hated. So if the world loves us, we are doing something wrong. If we tell the truth of the gospel, we preach the truth of what God requires of us and the world hates us, then we probably are on the right track.
0: So. Right. I mean, the, the, the answer isn't. So, so the world, in the its own deconstruction of everything that God has instituted here, that last thing is to destroy what God created last in creation, is the distinction between man and woman in marriage, in gender. And the idea that we would adopt their category for... Anthropology is absolutely absurd. I mean, when people say this isn't a theological issue, it is 100% a theological issue. It is the doctrine of man. It is anthropological. It is ontological. It is lying to people to use language in such a way that they hear being an ontology core being and we're just talking about description of experience you know no you've used a word in a way that people understand it that is contrary to our understanding of what it means to be a human being and this is theological and that's why it matters and you know i always say i I I care about this because i care about people and we have destroyed a generation of children and we know what christ says about those that lead the little ones astray, and yep. and he's you know he's using the idea of of the innocence of children and the idea that the best we'd have to offer them is well that might be who you are just don't do this is not hopeful it is not a full gospel it is not the hope of the power of the Holy Spirit in us and we're not just some old fogey guys at this point you know like Rosaria believes this and she is a woman who was a feminist uh college professor but you don't like her how about beckett cook who's in hollywood and he re- he roundly rejects this and he's not even in a reformed church. Uh, he does have reformed leanings, it seems like when I listen to him. But like his book, A Change of Affection is a wonderful pastoral tool. I recommend it to everybody. I recommend his podcast to everybody. And he rejects this. And the idea, I mean, Beckett is in Hollywood with fashion designers and makeup artists and actors and set designers. And he's in the world that this shouldn't be working. And people are coming from death to life because of his testimony. But we have PCA guys that honest to God, most of them, when I listen to them, they, they don't have the backgrounds that, that we have. And what I mean by that is it's, it's like almost this, this guilt. It's like, it's like this white middle class guilt that we haven't had these experiences. So we can't speak to it. And it's like, man, you're robbing people. I told my congregation on Sunday because I was a huge partier debaucherous in ways I, I i'm ashamed it it hurts me to still think about it. thank god romans 8 1 but there was a guy on a street corner at one of these debaucherous street parties that i was at with millions of people and he had one of those signs to repent and i told the congregation does that bother you because when I get to heaven, I can't wait to meet that guy who who I saw that sign and had that conversation and he had enough love for me to condemn what I was doing and, and question you and you claim to be a Christian. And that stuck with me. And when I get to heaven, I want to see him. I'm not going to recognize him in my flesh, but hopefully in my glorified state, I'm like, you're the dude, man. Thank you for caring enough about your savior and about me that you actually engaged me on this. Um and he didn't do it in some stupid way like a Westboro Baptist. He did it but right. he was being spit on and I'm I'm ki- I'm not kidding about that. Oh I'm sure. And he still cared to tell us. And why would we be withholding that from people? I don't know.
1: You know, you, you brought up the Westboro Baptist, um and I, I just gotta go I gotta go there for a minute too. Um we so they keep calling us fundamentalists, those of our, our brothers in the PCA, because we want to stick to scripture and to the confession, and do things decently and in order. They keep calling us fundamentalists. Now, I'll take it. I mean, I'm I'm down with being called a fundamentalist. The problem is, when you use that word, now most people see the Westboro Baptist Church, right? So that's the type of of uh, ministry that people think of when when you hear fundamentalists. So I think more of like Machen, and I'm I'm happy to be lumped in with uh, with Machen when it comes to the gospel and how we should uh, be a church and what our witness should be. Um, And sometimes I think we get caught up in these, you know, we're in a private Facebook group ruling and teaching elders and, and we, we debate these things. We argue these things. We, we go back and forth with one another and, um, now that the robert's rules of order dictate the way we debate at presbyterian at ga it doesn't always get as personal as it can sometimes be um online in in the groups and and things like that but we do go after one another right in the groups and and we call each other out for things and very often uh i think at least on the winsome side of things, the progressive side, they they might wait, like wait, wait, wait,
0: wait. Aren't you winsome re? Isn't that your Winsome-RE? handle?
1: Winsome <laughs> re. That's, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> um, but because I I believe that telling the truth is winsome, right? I believe that that preaching the gospel, telling the truth of the Scripture, is winsome. It may it may repel more than it attracts, but it's still winsome because it's true, and and that's my point. You know, I. I've, I guess I have built a reputation for myself. Um, and you know, I meet people at GA and they're like, Oh, I see you online. Yeah. Go get them like pit bull and, and that. And you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really a gentle, loving, kind person. I love my church family. I love to help people. I love to serve people. I'm, I'm very protective over, you know, my flock. I'm, I'm very protective over people, people I don't even know. My, my, uh, I saw something I thought was a little funny the other day. Well, a couple of weeks ago I was with my son, he's 18. And I said, you know, let's just hang out for a minute. Watch this guy, kind of a tweaker looking guy acting funny in the restaurant. And the staff was female. There was only three or four people in there. And I said let's just, let me just sit out here for a little bit and watch and and make sure everything's okay. And he's like, "Come on, why do you always do this? You're not Batman." And and uh and it's just I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm a protect I have a protective nature. I'm a sheepdog, right? So I um I sat there until I was satisfied that he was just going to beg for some food and go away and th- and then we left. But you know, I don't talk to women and children and men in my church, I don't talk to my congregation or the people I meet on the street the way I would talk to a fellow elder who's leading people astray by taking concessions with the word. Well, Um, and playing games, playing word games with with the the holy word of God. The the human sexuality report talked about not being word police, right? (laughs) Yet, these guys are arguing against O15 uh, over the word claim. They're policing the word claim. Now it claims to be celibate, right? And they're saying, "Well, that sounds like you think they're dishonest." And I, and I'm saying, "No, we're being charitable. They claim it, we believe it. It still means they're unqualified, right?" And then over Overture 37, um, was it 37? They were or 23 they were arguing against the word identity a, a word that most of them had probably used in several sermons before that day now became the thing that they want to harp on and 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 uh dismantle a whole good uh, great overture over that word identity right they're playing word games so
0: well especially you know one of the guys on the AIC report who wrote the human sexuality AIC report who has Hundreds of entries online using our identity in Christ said, well, maybe we need a study report on identity. And he used it like 40 times in the AIC report. I mean, it's yeah. like this is a game. It's a it's- game. And, and so that I don't have patience with. And that
1: I'll call you out. And that I will get harsh with. If you mm-hmm. are an officer of the church and you're playing word games and you're not being faithful to the scripture or to the vows you took, no matter how you want to sell it, I'm going to call you out on that. And, you know, Jesus was gentle with the woman at the well, and I would be as well. But he was not so gentle with Peter. He was not so gentle with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was not so gentle with his very own brothers who walked with him for three years. When they said something that was basically stupid, he called them out for that, right? Right and Paul was harsh with the people he needed to be harsh with and he was gentle with the people he needed to be gentle with so if if someone comes to our church and says i disagree with you i'm same sex attracted but i want to learn then i'm going to be gentle with that person i'm going to pray with that person i'm going to talk with that person i'm going to teach them from the scripture i'm not going to try to coddle their feelings or teach them with cultural or psychological terms or or whatever i'm going to take them to the scripture and i'm going to teach them about the new man that they can be or the new woman Uh. and i'm going to teach them that we're all in the same playing field we're dead we're totally depraved totally incapable totally not even desiring god unless we've been given a heart of flesh which is a work of the spirit and that's what they're going to hear from me. And once you've been given that heart of flesh and you claim Christ and you have to walk in the new man, that's what I would tell them. But so, you know, for those that are listening that see me online in the Facebook groups or perhaps occasionally on Twitter trolling some of the progressives to try to correct the garbage that I see them put out for the masses. Um, That's not the person I want to be, right? I want to have a cigar, sip some bourbon, talk about the glory of God and how he's made us all new creations and and how blessed we are to live in his creation and how we can help. You know, I'd, I'd much rather talk with these guys about how we can make our ministry more effective at our local church. And argue with them over things that dilute the church. So yeah,
0: and, and you know, you know, Gabe, I, it's a, I appreciate that. And and the part of the problem is these guys on the left. Like what's happened is what's happened in private Facebook groups has spilled over into public discourse, and it's because we see the men on the left doing the same thing, confusing sheep and confusing the world. And so we need to address it. I, I will think. I will say. And you and I have talked about this privately because I, I respect you and I've asked your feedback on stuff before. And just like I do think, when we do things publicly, we need to. We do need to be careful, because when we let those debates that are happening in private spill over into the public, the public doesn't have that whole background. You know, and, and they, in other words, they they didn't see like why this is frustrating to us because we've had this same conversation with this individual 25 times and they're, they're continuing to perpetuate this. Right. And so, and I'll also say for new, new REs that want to get into like some of these private groups, like <laughs> uh, some of us are tired, you know? And I, I remember when I first got in one of the groups and men didn't know what to make from me because I didn't know the debates and I would ask questions and that men who I would view in my camp or of my persuasion thought I was the opposite of what I was just because of the questions I was asking. And it was like, I I remember I went to a gospel reformation network conference and guys saw me and they're like, you're here. Like what do you, you know? And I think we got to watch that kind of attitude that we can have, you know, Um, we're in this, fight for the Lord, but it's his, we're soldiers in his army. He's in control. We, uh, we get, we get to stand for truth and he gives us his spirit to be able to do that. And if, when we start getting publicly, uh, impatient about it, you know, I, am not sure. I just think we need to check our own motives in that. And I'm speaking of myself because, uh, it, it's just funny what, People's impression of me can be based on my online presence, and as pastors, we gotta <laughs> we gotta watch that. But it is it is frustrating when, like, I wrote an article that that said, um, you know, should the church promote deeds of darkness to win people or something like that? And it was it was a very it wasn't a sarcastic article at all. There was nothing in it that anybody could except I was saying should this be done? And and the context was hosting. Uh, demonically advertised and and marketed event of transvestite performers who had blasphemy with blasphemy on a church property mm. and 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 inviting people and promoting this because they're trying to welcome and love this community it was openly blasphemous it was called celestial bodies it 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 had images of Christ in it it had um, cross dressers in it and this one te's response to me was oh are you saying because a church has a different policy around property usage that they're you know they're compromising something it's like bro stop talking to me about property usage yeah, you just i've the- had you know Right, you did this a year and a half ago and I already shut it down when it was the Transluminate event. Now this is even worse and you're talking me about property usage. And it's just like... we. So we get tired of those arguments. Um, hoping Hosting an openly blasphemous demonic... Event. The, the guy's name was El Draco, which is the dragon. I mean, that's demonic. It's like th- this openly blasphemous demonic event and you're going to call it property usage? Stop talking.
1: Right. <laughs> well, and that's... I mean, that's always been that's one of the things that frustrates me about is I, I I'm really I speak plainly I just you know let's get to the root of the matter let's talk about the nuts and bolts um, I, I drive my wife and kids crazy because I go a lot of times I go oh let, let's hold on a minute we're all you know we're starting to get a little emotional here and really this is a data conversation let's talk about the data well you know what? happened, what caused it, what can we do differently? There's no reason to get all upset here. And when people want to get upset, that's the, that drives them crazy. Right. But that's people deal in the emotion because that's where the gray area is. When, you know, you look at a case like that and you go, is this what God calls the church to do? Is this reflecting God's glory to the community by promoting and hosting an event like this or allowing it to happen on our property. Um, furthermore, are you putting the denomination in danger when somebody else is sued because they won't let their property be used. And then you go, well, I can't do that. I'm the member, I'm a member of a confessional conservative denomination and they go, but this other church in your denomination did this. So there's the inconsistency. I mean, those are things I think about because you see those things play out in this world, all the time, right? Yes. If yeah. it if it appears to be inconsistent, then that's the chink in the armor and you may win the case. But what church wants to spend $50,000 defending themselves against some frivolous lawsuit and especially one that nowadays we see bakers lose sometimes. Like you you know what I yeah. mean? Like you sometimes these cases are lost even though it doesn't make any sense. So
0: yeah, and I was in a meeting in South Florida and this was back in 2015 I think with all these lawyers a mega church in the area had gathered some high powered lawyers and they and they said, "Yeah, right now we're kind of protected under um a, you know, but but there's groups out there that are trying to make churches on, fall under public accommodation laws. That's a legal term and also they're looking at again legal terms sincerely held beliefs and and they're trying they're 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 having test cases and that's what like the cake baker was or the pizza restaurant these are test cases that are being used to to drive an issue and make policy and uh just for our listeners too that that uh that back and forth about property use and i didn't just pounce on the guy because my point was back to what we do public i just said well you maybe you should read my article and then he kept pressing it i'm like I still don't think you read my article because I, I wasn't going to do it publicly but then it went into private groups and I'm like this is ridiculous man property usage and that's that's the problem Gabe we we've gone god what do you want to well,
1: say Well I I was going to say that's one thing you know I have kind of curtailed my online stuff a bit because I I just I don't think I'm the guy that a lot of people think I am and even people that like what they see you know when I'm going after uh, getting after someone, you know, I, I, it's just not, it's not, it's who I am when I need to be, but it's not what I prefer. Right. So I'd much rather be the sheepdog that's playing with the sheep than the sheepdog. That's always having to run off a wolf. Like it's, it's not, I, I, I didn't get into this. I, I was called to be a ruling elder. And when I got into it, my whole mindset was serving the flock, serving God's people. So this all of this nonsense that we go through is very frustrating and I think it hurts the church's witness. You know, the watching world loving us is not necessarily the witness that we're supposed to be upholding, right? When when <laughs> when we say the church having a good witness to the world, that witness should be a clear witness of loving God and conforming to his word and wanting to be more and more like him with every breath and every step and wanting others to know that joy and that glory and that hope and that's what a good witness is it's not conforming so the world likes you and that frustrates me that somewhere along the line that's been really muddied up and when we stand up and say, no, that's improper, this is how we should be doing things, then we're immediately seen as unloving or f- fundamentalist in a Westboro Baptist kind of yeah. way.
0: Yeah, I mean, like it- it's honestly no witness. If you love what the world loves, speak like the world speaks, care about what the world cares about, dress like the world dresses – that's not a witness that's blending in a witness right. stands apart. And again, we're not trying to you know, say we're better than anybody. It's the opposite of that. But what is a real witness in the world? It's Beckett cook telling the world, even though these desires I have, this is not who I am. This is not who God created me to be. And Jesus is more precious to me than what I may want to do. And that's why I lay down that identity. That's a witness. Well, Gabe, any final words as we we wrap up? I know your time you know, is getting. I,
1: would, um, I again, I, I would just like to reiterate to ruling elders, new and old, that are listening to this, um, to go to presbytery once in a while when you can um, get to know what's going on in the denomination. I know it's more difficult for us because most of these things happen during weekdays, and we have to, you know. Teaching elders are paid to go. They don't have to take vacation to go. Um, If someone is struggling, uh, if a church is just too small, they don't have the budget for ruling elders, you did a great interview with Charlie Nave from Moore in the PCA. That is a resource that um, I I personally know a few people last year that that they assisted um, that probably wouldn't have been able to come if it it weren't for their help. So I think that that's a great thing. Um, But ruling elders... um, Just realize when you're getting into this, you're also part of the safeguard of the denomination. The PCA was started by ruling elders mainly. And we definitely need to know what's going on. We need to be engaged. We need to pray for the denomination. We need to pray for our pastors and for congregants that are listening to this. Know what your ruling and teaching elders think and believe about these issues. The PCA is your denomination too. And um, she is a great denomination, but you need to learn what some of the battles are, what these overtures are about. And don't be afraid to ask your pastor or your ruling elders what they think, how they vote, and what their opinion is on these things. Because, um, you know, you may find that someone that you think is really solid, they're going to Presbytery or General Assembly and they're voting – in ways that weaken the church. So, and then another thing I love to say, and sometimes people cringe, Google your pastor, Google him, his name with PCA behind it, because I was surprised when I did the same thing, not currently, but in the past, the open letters and protests and things that, that I found. Right. So, that's the way that you know where he really stands because he'll be in the pulpit and say one thing to you but then if he's part of this you know private email chain or other um, other initiatives out there that you might not agree with that's where you're going to kind of learn what he's really about so ask questions know what's going on and google your pastor
0: well good word Um, we're going to close on that and so thanks gabe appreciate uh, you want to just give their let's see, it's NeuralBalance.com is the company you work for, yeah. and um, how does the that, well? That's another that's another show. Never mind. Re- we we Re- are gonna pretty, yes, there you. go. Yeah. We are gonna wrap up. Thanks again, Gabe, and this was another episode of Presbyterian and Reformed Churchmen. Uh, you're very welcome.
1: Appreciate it, George.
0: Yeah, thanks. Appreciate you too, man. Bye.